So a couple of weeks ago, you're all aware, our governor has lifted a mandate, most of the rules about masks, right? We're pretty excited about that. And I start with that because there's a lot of reasons we get excited about that. Uh, maybe the number one reason is just like, it kind of shows that there's a light at the end of this pandemic tunnel. Uh, it's my first pandemic. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know how long these things last. And so it looks like uh, we're getting near the end. So that's cool. One reason why I'm glad that it's kind of lifted is because I don't know where you have been on the spectrum, on the TikTok spectrum of... Um, of masks and all that, uh, you might be aware that there are people who disagree on this idea. And so <laughs> I'm sick of it. I'm sick of hearing about it. And so uh, hopefully we're closer to ending that whole conversation, whether you liked it or not, right? But for me, probably the coolest reason that we don't have the masks is because I get to preach to people with like whole faces. It's the best. Like for, I'm like, are y'all smiling? Are you sad? Are you asleep? Do you have painted on eyelids? I don't know what it is. And so there's a lot of good things about this. Uh, but I talk about masks for this reason because before 2020, masks meant something different. Uh, for a little while when I heard someone was wearing a mask, I mean, yeah, there's like... There were a few areas of our lives where we wear masks. If you're like a doctor or a nurse or some kind of medical professional, you might wear a mask for certain reasons. Maybe you work on a construction area where it's dusty and you need to keep it out of your lungs, like you wear a mask. But mostly, when someone talked about wearing a mask, I'm thinking Halloween. You know, like you're Spider-Man, you're Thor, you're Captain America, some Marvel character. I don't know. There's other people who wear masks too. But you got, you got these masks on, and, uh, and that's what I think about when I hear masks. The reality, though, is that masks go back way further than our celebration of Halloween, way further than a pandemic. Masks is a figurative thing. And that's what we're getting into today. Because whether you realize it or not, many people around you, maybe you, maybe people in this room right now, are wearing a mask. We do it all the time. It's when we want to act one way because we don't want people to know about another way. It's when you wear a smile at work all day, but on the inside, you're just crying your eyeballs out. You know, it's when you dress, you dress in such a way to indicate maybe you've got something else going on, a different economic status than you really do, or a different job title than you really do, and you want to look the part, but really that's not your part. We tend to talk about things that we don't understand and laugh at jokes that we don't get because we don't want anybody to know, and we don't want anybody to think that we're stupid or that we're behind. Married couples do this all the time. They act a certain way in public and a different way at home. And so these are the masks that we wear today as we continue this teaching series, Wrestling with God. Uh, I want to address this all too common mask wearing phenomenon that happens in the Christian community. Uh, in a word, in a painful word, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has been cited over and over again as one of the number one reasons why people won't do church and why they don't lean into Christianity and they don't want to have anything to do with God because everybody's a hypocrite. And the reality is, that's true. <laughs> we all, to some degree, wear a mask and we put on a front and we wear this front and sometimes we don't even know what to do about it. Like, how do I get out of it? No one wants to be a hypocrite, but where do I go with this? The word hypocrite comes from an old Greek word, hypocrites, and it was a word they would use for actors, okay? So an actor's putting on a play, maybe you've heard this in drama class in high school, and the same actor would often play multiple roles, and so to be the king, I'd wear the king mask. To be the peasant, I wear the peasant mask, right? And I wear these different things. Uh, the word literally means, you know, I'm, I'm putting on a mask, I'm playing a role. But today, the word uh, hypocrites has survived as the word hypocrite. You can probably hear how they sound very similar. And on the other end of that, when you call someone a hypocrite, what you're saying about them is, you're pretending, 
You're pretending to be something that you're not. You can't be trusted. You're faking it. You're wearing a mask. And hypocrisy is sometimes a thing that we struggle with because we don't want to be that person. We struggle to make our actions line up with our heart or vice versa, and we don't know how. The Bible calls this the conflict between uh, walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. It's a very deep-rooted spiritual issue, and it shows up in a lot of ways. Today, we're going to zoom into a place in the Bible, and we're going to meet a guy who lived in hypocrisy, uh, a dude who may be the biggest hypocrite to ever live. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard about this guy. He's remembered as a villain, as a traitor. The person I'm talking about is the disciple whose name was Judas Iscariot. Yeah, we're preaching out of Judas today. Uh, and so if you got a Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open it up. We love to look to God's words for uh, his most important teachings. And so uh, we got paper Bibles in the back. If you need one, we give them away for free. We want everybody to have a good readable version of the Bible. Go grab it at the coffee bar. Don't feel any shame in just standing up to go get it at any time. Totally cool. Or grab it on your phone and scroll down. We're going to be in two places if you want to kind of mark them. We'll be in Luke chapter 22 and we'll be in Matthew chapter 26. Luke 22. Matthew 26, I'll say it again when we get closer, uh, but if you want to hold those spots, because both of those areas tell the story of Judas, or at least part of his story. Luke and Matthew are both biographies of the life of Jesus, and they are found in the New Testament of the Bible, which is the section of the Bible that teaches us about the church, about Jesus, and about how we can live our lives. And so uh, we'll be starting out in Luke 22. While you flip over there, if you don't know Judas, let me just give you a couple of things here. Uh, first, he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, okay? There were 12 of them, but he is infamous for selling Jesus out. Jesus was crucified. He was arrested and crucified. Eventually, he rose from the dead. That's the Christian story. That's the root of everything that Christians believe. But before all that, someone sold him out to some guards that worked for some Jewish authorities who didn't like Jesus. That was Judas. And for 30 pieces of silver... He sold him out. He arranged a special sign. He was going to kiss Jesus like on the cheek. And whoever I kiss on the cheek, that's the guy. And so maybe you've heard the phrase, you know, betrayed with a kiss. That's the moment. That's where that happens. There really aren't any positive stories about Judas. I'm sure like he had a cool like t-ball team and did really good at math and stuff. But like none of that survives because the story of Judas was written down after the crucifixion. And the people who wrote it down didn't have very kind feelings about Judas. And so no one remembers anything good about Judas, unfortunately. I'm sure he had some good things going on in his life. So we're in Luke chapter 22. And it's going to take place near the very end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, we'll be starting at verse 14. But let me just tell you where we are and then we'll jump in. We're sitting in what's called the upper room. And they're having the Passover meal. They're Jewish people. This is a very important Jewish festival where they share this meal at a certain time. And we've actually looked at like two different angles from this meal in recent teaching series. One where Jesus was cleaning some uh, people's feet. One looking at Peter and some stuff that he did. But today we're looking at a different perspective from Judas's perspective. And he's up there having that, uh, that meal. Now it's a big celebration. Imagine like Thanksgiving at your family's house, the big one with all the food and the turkey and the ham and the stuff. Okay. This is the big deal. Everyone's festive. Everybody's celebrating, but there's one guy who's scheming and he's about to betray the whole gang. That's where we pick up. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, 
take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again, drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. That sound familiar? We actually reenact this moment every single week at our church. We'll do it today. It's, it's part of the passage we talk about when we do communion together. But this is part of the uh, Passover feast. And so he's having these moments. And most of the things Jesus is saying are almost scripted. Because the Passover feast had this whole ordeal that they went through. And they, they actually told some of Jewish history through the feast. And they're doing all this stuff. And so, but Jesus starts to kind of go off script a little bit. And this is the first time he does it. And for a moment, his disciples are like, what now? Suffer? What's he talk? What's he doing? And then the scene kind of changes. It says in verse 19, so Luke twenty two nineteen, he continues some Passover rituals, kind of a different part. It says, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Sorry, that was in the first section. But then the new part begins in verse 20. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. So he's grabbing the cup again. And he says at this time, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me on the table. Remember that thought. We're going to look at it again in another place. Verse 22 says, the son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. Then they all began to question among themselves, which of them is going to do this. And so these guys have been through dozens of Passovers in their life, okay? And right now, Jesus kind of totally goes off script. What is he talking about? Someone's going to betray him? That's not what we normally do at Passover. Who's going to betray Jesus? It's not, these guys were tight. Many of these guys had given up everything, had left their families behind. And they're like, wait a second. I thought we were all in on this Jesus guy. What is going on here? Why is someone, why is Jesus talking about, and they even say, you know, who, me? Surely it's not me. And they're looking around and they're pointing fingers. Now we're going to pause and we're going to look at the same story, but I told you we're going to also look at Matthew chapter 26, okay? So Matthew tells the same story, but he inserts a little different detail. This time Matthew 26 verse 23. So Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The other passage said the guy who has his hand on the table with me, but same kind of idea. Verse 24 the son of man will go just as it is written about me, but woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. That's rough. Uh, son of man, nickname for Jesus. It's kind of a, a prophetic nickname. It's something that you get out of like Daniel and Isaiah and places like that. And it's something that Jesus began to identify as. And it kind of was saying, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the person that your ancestors talked about, dreamed about. I'm him. And he's actually letting them know, like, it's going down right now. In fact, someone's about to betray me and turn me over to start the clock. Now, I'm guessing that Judas and Jesus were, I don't know, both reaching for the guacamole at the same time. <laughs> He's put his hand in the bowl with me. I think it was like a finger bowl you're washing your hands with. I don't know. But he goes, I like to think of it as guacamole. It's more fun. And so they go in, and at the same moment, it's like as if Jesus was waiting for this moment. Judas is going to dip, and he goes, someone's going to betray me. It's the person I'm dipping with right now. And he looks at Judas, and Judas says, this is verse 25, Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. Jesus answered, you have said so. As if to say, well, you decide if it's gonna be you. 
We're talking about hypocrisy today, um, and we all know what Judas is about to do. We, we might not all know. If you don't know, spoiler, Judas is about to turn Jesus over to Jewish authorities, and he, they're going to try him and crucify him. Okay, so there's the spoiler. It's out of the bag. But that's Judas' story. That's what he's known for. So can you believe the audacity of this moment? Jesus says, someone is going to betray me. It's you, Judas. And Judas is like, oh, not me. Surely not, I, because... He's wearing a mask. Something that you got to know about Judas is this. He's been scheming this for a really long time. This is not an, a, an idea he had this afternoon. He's like, you know what? I can make a quick 30 you know, silver pieces if I would just... Sit. No, he's been working on this for a long time. He'd been planning it for a while. But up until this moment, he had been hiding it. He was seen as a very active member of the group of disciples. He was out serving with them. He was helping the widows. He was doing all the things that Jesus was doing. He was a good guy. He actually had a position of trust and authority in the group. It was, uh, I think the book of John uh, tells us that he was the, the money keeper for the group. So he was like their treasurer. They collected their monies and they put them all together and one guy held them in a bag. And then that way when someone would go shopping for groceries for the group, Judas would give him some money. The mask he wore said, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm doing the Jesus thing. And even as Jesus was pointing him out, like, I know what you've been up to. Parents, have you ever done that? You caught your kid red-handed, and they were like, no, chocolate all over their face. I didn't need the cookie. You know, like, this is it. He's busted, and so Judas is going to keep the mask on for just a little bit longer. Surely not I, Lord. But here's the problem. Judas had been wearing that mask for so long that when he got busted, he kind of couldn't believe that the, 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 the discovery had been made. He'd been caught. Um, he was a hypocrite. Why? why? Why did Judas do this? Why did Judas do this? Like, you look back at that, you're like, Jesus is raising people from the dead. He's doing incredible things. He's clearly a leader. Why, did, why would Judas do this? We don't know. We don't have his memoirs. Uh, there have been a lot of theories proposed. Here's one that I think is pretty good, and it's basically this. If you watch Jesus' career, he skyrockets, okay? He goes from obscurity to very famous very quickly, like in weeks, okay? And so Judas is a guy who sees an opportunity because these rumors begin to circulate about Jesus. Like Jesus is a political leader. He's gonna perhaps be, you know, a, a leader rebellion against the Romans. He's gonna get us out of Roman oppression. Maybe he's gonna raise up and be our king. They hadn't had a king in a really long time in Israel. And so maybe he's gonna be our king. Maybe he's gonna be a general and he's gonna lead a, a, an army. And so Judas sees all this happening. He gets called to follow Jesus. He's like, yeah, he knows a good deal when he sees it. He wants to be in the up and up. And so from what we know about Judas, he's looking out for himself. He attaches him to someone with power, attaches himself to someone with power. The problem was, as Jesus' ministry unfolded, it was very clear that none of these were Jesus' goals. You ever been on the team and you thought you were part of something else and then you looked around and you're like, nobody else is doing what I thought we were here to do. This is not, and so this is what's happening with Judas. See, Judas wanted power Jesus is talking about bringing peace. Judas, he wanted riches. Jesus is all about giving it away. <laughs> Generosity. Judas wanted prominence. Jesus said, you got to lower yourself. You got to be humble. This is not what Judas signed up for. So at some point, Judas makes a choice to use what influence he had with Jesus and leverage that to advance himself even further. It was common knowledge that the Jewish ruling council was against Jesus. And when Judas caught that, he was like, man, I don't know about this son of God stuff. Jesus is obviously doing some weird stuff and it's pretty crazy. But you know, I gotta look out for me. He'd been wearing this 
mask for so long and he got into the secrecy for so long that when the opportunity to present itself for him to advance himself came along, he took it. So Judas seized the opportunity. He leveraged his position and he switched teams and he made the deal. If you go back to Luke chapter 22 and verse 5, this is kind of uh, talking about the, the Jewish leaders talking to Judas. It says they were delighted and they agreed to give him the money. He consented and he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when there was no crowd present. So way before the dipping into the guacamole, Judas had begun to work. Now, let's pause Judas's story, okay? Uh, I've already gave you the spoiler. Not only does Judas betray Jesus and Jesus is unfairly tried, illegally tried, if you look at the way it was done, and he's sentenced to death by crucifixion. Jesus doesn't stay dead. He raises from the dead. That's awesome. That's the whole message of Christianity. That's what the early church, that's like the only thing they taught. Resurrection from the dead. That was like what the message of the, the gospel was. So that's the message. But let's pause all that and let's take a step back because it is easy for us to relive the story of Judas and throw stones at Judas as a traitor without taking a minute to see how much we actually might have in common with Judas. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of wearing a mask when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. I'm a professional talker about Jesus, right? I'm the preacher at a church. But there have been portions of my life, seasons of my life, moments of my life where I'm like, ah, you know, there's just other things I want to get done. And, and it's selfish and it's wrong. But there's been moments when I've been guilty. Are you with me? Anybody been there? That's just where we are. It's just real. And so there's this mask that we tend to wear that says, I'm serving and loving God, I'm honoring him. But our actions, by our actions, you're, you're, you're really just serving and loving yourself. And especially in your private moments of your life, people see that. I mean, people don't see that, but it happens and you know it. And so publicly we look one way, but privately we're actually something else. And for too many people, it's because of these kinds of reasons we're hip hypocritical about our faith because maybe it makes my family look better. <laughs> maybe it's uh, your parents who expect you to be involved in church and get involved in stuff. And so we get this a lot out of college students who come here and the number of times a parent has called me, hey, my daughter just went to UNCW. Could you please see if she'll go to church? And I'm like, yeah, I'll call her, but she's a grown up. <laughs> And so, but maybe they come, and, and maybe you've done that. Maybe you've done church because your parents expected it of you. Maybe for you, it's a wise business strategy. I don't want to throw any stones or point fingers, but I suspect that a lot of politicians do this. They attach themselves to a church, and they attend certain things because it makes them look good, uh, you know, professionally. And maybe you've done that for your business. How many businesses in town have the Christian fish on them? And I've walked into some businesses with scripture on the wall, and I can hear the people in the back just like, ooh, that language doesn't reflect someone that I think has had their life redeemed by Jesus. Maybe, maybe they're doing evangelism by hiring. That's probably the plan. But, you know, we, we tend to do, and there's lots of reasons why we wear the mask. Maybe it helps to alleviate some guilt in your life. And so if I go the right places, maybe I'll feel better about it. This is just the reality, right? I'm not pointing fingers or throwing, I said I'm, I'm guilty. We all do it. The why might be different, but the reality is the same. And so that's just, that's just talking about hypocrisy and attending church, okay? It's just this like hour and 15 minutes we have to go. That's all, that's just that. But in reality, where it matters most, the place where hypocrisy shows up the most is in like real life, like in the workplace, 
with your family, with your spouse, or just dealing with people in general, your neighbors and the people that you interact with. We put on a mask and we leverage every opportunity to get ourselves ahead. So to these people, I look this way. To these people, I look that way. Even if it means keeping secrets. Even if it means faking it morally. Even if it means hurting other people along the way. So when I see Judas, I see myself. Let me tell you why. I I hope I would never go as far to sell someone out and let them be killed. Like, I hope I would never sink that low, hopefully. But hypocrisy is not just about what happens in the big things. Hypocrisy exists most often with the little things. Hypocrisy is simply saying one thing and doing something else. And it can be little things. And most of us find ourselves at some point in that tension between what I say and what I do, between what is real and what is false. What do I really believe and what am I really going to do about that? It's the little things. It's the daily decisions. It's how we spend our private time on the internet and how we exchange with our friends and the texts that we send and the ways that we entertain ourselves. It's, it's the little things. So before we paint a picture of Judas as the ultimate hypocrite, we got to realize like we too began in the same place that Judas began because they're just like for Judas. And we talked about Job last week. <laughs> Job had it rough. There is a battle for our soul a spiritual battle going on and there are strong forces that want you very badly to fail and one of the best things they can do is just make you be a hypocrite (laughs) so that you kind of feel good about where you are and sometimes the things that we want for ourselves seem more important than the things that God wants for us and this isn't news to God he knows that Romans chapter 3 verse 23 talks about our sin. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so God's not surprised when we make mistakes. He's not blown away. Oh, how did you do that? And I was like, yeah, well, I knew that was going to happen. The difference is we don't have to stay in that state. We're told in God's word so many times, and I'll use this one. I use it a lot, and I won't apologize. It's one of the best scriptures in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. Like, so Jesus offers us this opportunity for a brand new fresh start, a clean slate. We don't have to live in that place, even though it seems inevitable. God is full of grace. Now, he's pretty clear about how he feels about hypocrisy. He talks about the Pharisees, for example. This is in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He's not a fan of hypocrisy. God hates your hypocrisy. But listen, God loves you. Our sin doesn't surprise him. It doesn't scare him. He just wants us to be honest about it. He understands we got a tendency to drift. But what he wants us to do is take the mask off and face him. And look him in the eyes and say, this is who I am. Your real face your scars and your bumps and your bruises, your background and your baggage, your your addiction, your pain, all of it. He wants all of it. He already knows it's there, but he wants you to bring it to him. So if you found that you've slipped or slided, it happens. But bring it to God. Expose it before him and he say, okay, I can work with that. Here's how we avoid being a Judas. I have a friend who once said, hypocrisy begins when we start to skim and to scheme. 
Hypocrisy begins when we start to skim and to scheme. We do small things and we secretly hope that no one will notice. We skim and we scheme. And so just leave that up there. This is, this is what this looks like. We've all done this, okay? Your grandma made a, t- a cake for somebody's birthday, okay? It's a killer cake. It's her favorite cake. She's famous for it in three counties. It's the best cake ever. She made it. It's got the sprinkles and the frosting and everything is on it. She's on the kitchen table. She put it there and she says to the family, nobody touch this cake, okay? This is for the birthday party. Nobody touch this cake. Birthday party's at two o'clock. Don't touch the cake. And everybody in the family by two o'clock has stuck their finger in the side of that cake. You walk by and you just get a little bit, just a little bit around the edge. Then you take the little knife, you smooth it out. Nobody knows. That is scheming, that is skimming. You with me? You make a plan, you do small incremental things to get away with it. Nobody has to know. Hypocrisy begins when we start to skim and we start to scheme. It's a plan for incremental secrecy. Judas's downfall didn't begin when he sold Jesus out that night and kissed him on the cheek. That's not when Judas's fall began. We don't know a lot of Judas's background, okay? But from what I know about Judas's a little bit, his story a little bit, and from what I know about people in general, we know that it began with a little bit of skimming and a little bit of scheming. And the one piece of information we get about that, I told you he was the, the money keeper. He was the treasurer for the disciples. And we're told in the book of John that Judas was taking a little bit from the treasury for himself. A little bit here. A little bit there. Nobody will ever know. I thought we had 32 shekels. Ah, It was 28, man. I don't know. You must have miscounted. Okay, Judas, we trust you. Ching, ching in his pocket. Just a little bit so that nobody would notice. So that before he betrayed Jesus, he was betraying his friends. Many times before we turn our backs on God, we make bad decisions with each other. I imagine there were a lot more secrets. I don't know what they were. They weren't written down. But he got comfortable in secrets, so comfortable in secrets that it didn't bother him to secretly meet with a group of Jewish authorities who had it out to kill Jesus, his friend. And by the way, it would implicate all the rest of the disciples too. Remember when all the disciples run away? They're scared that they're going to get killed too. So he's willing to sell out not just Jesus, but his entire group with a little bit of skimming, a little bit of scheming. If you want to honor God with the big things, Start by honoring God with the small things. That's how we avoid becoming a Judas. If you want to honor God with the big things, start by honoring God with the small things. Stop skimming. Stop scheming. So what is it you got going on? The little secrets. If, if you've been doing that, I want to let you know there's a great plan for that. Jesus talks about it in the book of John, or John talks about it as he talks about Jesus. It goes on and on, but we're going to read John chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. This is what it says. It says, through him, all things were made. So we're talking about Jesus. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there's this parallel between uh, darkness and light, and all the time in the Bible we see it, and light is good, and it's the presence of God. Darkness is where we hide. And there's another passage that said, if we would just drag our mess out into the light so that it can be clearly seen before the Father, that he'll forgive us. It's It's like taking a moldy thing and putting it out in the sunshine so that the sunshine can kill the mold. That's what we've got to do with our skimming and our scheming and our hypocrisy and our big sins and our small sins. We don't hide it. No one can help you if you hide it. But if you drag it out in the open, you can get help. You can get accountability. And most importantly, you can get the forgiveness of God. So I want you to listen to this. Jesus came to the world to die for our sins. Okay. 
So many times we tell the story of Judas and we're like, ah, Judas totally ruined it. He ruined it. He made Jesus get crucified. No, no, Jesus came to do that. That's why he was there. It didn't have to be Judas. There's a point where he gave into sin to the point that he was the vessel. But I believe two things. One, if Judas had decided not to do it, Jesus would have done it another way. It would have been interesting to see how that went. I believe, number two, even after the fact, Judas could have turned back to God. He could have come back to God. He could have asked for forgiveness. The other disciples did. Peter was next in line for doing the worst stuff. He ends up becoming the leader of the church. What could Judas have become? What story of redemption would there have been? Wow. But he didn't. Uh, his scheme to get him ahead didn't satisfy him. The mask that he wore couldn't justify him. So his guilt led him to take his own life. And it was a tragic ending to an already tragic story that actually could have been a beautiful story of redemption. Judas sank into darkness so much that he didn't believe there was any way out. Um, he could not see himself the way that God saw him. And so I'm not sure why we wear the masks. I don't know. We learn it as kids. I mean, how many two-year-olds have lied to their parents? All of them. <laughs> At some point, I didn't do it. I didn't push my brother. I didn't take the candy. I didn't do the thing, right? So we do it. Why do we do it? It's like the most common problem in the world. Um, I think that the reason we do it, maybe, is because we have that same problem that Judas had, that we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. We see ourselves with, by our brokenness, you know? We see ourselves by the failures that we've had, and we see ourselves as not good enough. So as we wrap up today, I wanna just close with this question. Here's the question. What would your life be like if you could see yourself the way that God sees you? What would your life be like? I mean, that would affect a lot of parts of your life, like every single part of our life. But what would it be like? The Apostle Peter says it this way. He says, this is how God sees you. This is from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who, listen to what God does for us, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He knows we're in the darkness, but he says, listen, come over here. Let me help. Let me help. Let me help. You're beautiful. You're royal. You're a priest and a priestess. You are in my kingdom. Please come be part of what I'm doing. That's how God sees us. Did you know that when God sees you, he doesn't see you in your brokenness. He doesn't see you as broken. He doesn't see you as the insecure version of yourself that you see when you look in the mirror. He doesn't see you as someone with a weight problem or with debt up to your eyeballs. He doesn't see you as a person with a criminal record or an addiction. Yeah, he knows about all that. But that's not how he defines you. He doesn't see you and be like, oh yeah, screw up, ruined his life, can't get herself straight. Like that is not how God sees us. When God sees us, he sees us as a child of his that he loves. Parents in the room, and I know I'm only speaking to a few of you, but you know you, you love your kids and they break so many rules. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you're like, I just love them. When I, I wanna do what I can to draw them closer to God and, and that's the way God sees us. Our God sees us as a child that he loves and who he wants more than anything to remove the mask and face him. So let's stop skimming. Let's stop scheming. Let's cut the hypocrisy. Accountability is great. Find someone in your church family or someone that you can trust and be like, can we just talk regularly? I just want to make sure that I'm doing my best to grow in my faith.
And let's start dragging the brokenness of our lives out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. As you wrestle through that, don't do it alone. Let's do it together. Let's pray together this morning.